the yoga, which was so integral to like empowering my life and allowing me to live the life I lived, gave me the confidence to believe that I'm worthy enough to practice my craft and do it. Hello, yogis, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 55. This week, I interview my friend from Austin, Texas, Deuce Bennett. Now, in many of the episodes of this show, my guest, my featured yogi, is someone who is 100% devoted to practicing and sharing the teachings and wisdom of yoga. But this week is a little different. Deuce is, in fact, a yoga teacher, but that's not his only thing, or perhaps it's not even his main thing. Deuce's original calling and what really led him onto the path of yoga was his musicianship. And to this day, even as he continues to practice and teach yoga, he is a songwriter, performer, audio engineer, producer, both of his own music and others that he collaborates with. And I like this interview because it provides a little bit more grounding perspective for those of us, those of you who may be householders and are using yoga to support your lifestyle rather than to arrange your entire life around yoga. And Deuce's story is very powerful. We get into the depths of despair in his story as he was totally addicted to both alcohol and heroin in his early 20s as a, as a musician, really trying to make his way through music school and then as a performer in Austin, Texas. But in this episode, you're going to learn just how powerful yoga really can be in turning a life like that around. We talk about how the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle suck Deuce into a pattern of self-destructive behavior and how yoga was the driving force that helped him recover. We talk about a very specific moment, a timely spark of intuition that quite literally saved Deuce's life and sent him down that path of yoga, reflection, and deeper spirituality. And finally, we talk about finding creative inspiration from yoga as an artist and bringing the essence of yoga into his musical collaborations to lift others up. Now, all of that is coming up very soon. Please just stay tuned through these short announcements, and we'll dive into my interview with Deuce Bennett. Hey, yogis, just a quick one this week. This weekend, I'm going to be teaching at Fuel Hot Yoga in Athens, Georgia. So if you're in the area, I'd love to see you there. Please come on out and practice with me. All right, that's it. Enjoy the episode. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I have my buddy from Austin, Texas, Deuce Bennett, on the line. Deuce is a vinyasa, rocket, hatha, and yin yoga teacher operating in Austin, and he is also a working musician, songwriter, composer, audio engineer, and producer. Yoga helped him overcome heroin and alcohol addiction and heal from career-threatening carpal tunnel syndrome. Now he understands his purpose in life is to spread joy and healing through his various enterprises and to teach students to tap into their inner strength and grace. Deuce, it's really nice to catch up with you here on this platform. You know, we used to spend a lot of time together at Yoga East Austin, so it's cool to have this conversation and share it out with other people. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I, uh, I taught the 930 Vinyasa at Bikram Yoga East Austin this morning. I'm feeling good, and it's uh, it's nice to talk to you, dude. 
Yeah, yeah. Pleasure is all mine. And also, I got to say, it's fun to talk to someone who's uh, styled out with all the audio equipment, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got the uh, the whole setup in the studio here. Yeah. <laughs> so we always start these conversations with the same first question. So I want to pitch that one out to you. The question is, what does the word dharma mean to you? And what is your dharma as you understand it today? Hmm. I guess dharma really means purpose. You know, what are the things that drive you or fuel you? And um, naturally that shifts over time as you have your different experiences. And uh, I would say my dharma is to simply just live my best life and in doing so give the people around me the permission to do the same. Nice. I like that. Um, and something that's kind of buried between the lines there is this idea of, of leading by example and leading by example for me doesn't mean that you have to be this perfect human because such a thing doesn't really exist. Right. It's like, Oh, not at all, man. (laughs) It's about like being relatable. And I think that's something that we all can strive to do through authenticity and something that I'm really hoping to do with this podcast is give people a platform to share their experiences. So let's, let's go to your experience. Um, what is your, what is your yoga practice all about? Like, why do you practice yoga and how did you get where you are with your yoga practice? Okay. Um, I practice yoga because I like to feel good ultimately, (laughs) you know, And I feel really good when I practice yoga. Um, By going deeper than that, it's really helped me on so many levels with my career, my own personal recovery from alcoholism and heroin addiction. And uh, so that, that whole aspect of just like, you know, I feel like I've spent the first couple years of my practice and even today just focusing on the healing, you know, like when I was first going to Bikram classes and even before that, like, well, I guess my, my experience with fitness really started at the gym and I would go to a 24 hour fitness here in town and I was living in a halfway house at the time, which was basically like a, frat house of 18 sober guys that was basically a revolving door of people who were like coming and going, getting sobriety, not getting sobriety. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I would go to the gym and I'd be there for two hours. I'd hit the cardio, I'd lift weights. You know, my, uh, my addiction really physically and mentally messed me up. I was like 200 pounds. I had bad carpal tunnel in my right wrist. And those were, uh, I didn't like that, you know, I didn't like how I felt all the time. And I just knew that if I kept showing up to something, I'd start to see results. And then one day I took the yoga class at that gym and I was like, I like how I feel after this, you know, the craziness in my head uh, wasn't gone, but it was starting to get better. And, uh, I gradually just started doing the yoga and I dropped the gym and I experimented with a couple different studios around town until I found Bikram Yoga East Austin. And, uh, that's kind of where I settled in. You know, I actually, I took my first Bikram Yoga class at a studio in Key West and I went partially because there was a girl I liked and she wanted to go. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but after that class, which was awful for me, like I did, I mean, I'm sure all of us remember all of the Bikram yogis probably remember their first Bikram class, but I like only did a third of the postures and I was like by the door and the teacher had to like he didn't have to, but he thought it was a good idea to come open the door next to me. And I was very grateful for that. (laughs) That was very generous. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, after that class, I walk outside, it's a beautiful day in Key West and I'm just on like cloud nine, dude. 
Like I felt so good. Like this weight had been lifted off of my shoulders and I basically decided I wanted to feel that way forever. Mm. Was that pre or post the, the, the gym life? That was towards the tail end, I'd say, of the gym life. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so I like, I came back into town and uh, I looked up Bikram Yoga Austin, and Bikram Yoga East Austin was just like five minutes down the road from me. So uh, proximity was very important because I could stay in bed until like ten minutes before class and then <laughs> scramble on over. Yeah, how how serendipitous. Yeah, really, it was. Uh, Gabriel had opened the studio maybe five months before, and uh, it wasn't long until I was work-study. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I did my teacher training with uh, Jared McCann at Lighthouse, which was also awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry, I kind of trailed off there a little bit. <laughs> well, let's let's go back for a second there because um you know, there was a moment that clicked for you clearly where something about the yoga was different from you saw that there was a desire to work on your physical body with fitness to get through your addiction. Somehow that was providing some sort of therapy for you, but the gym didn't work as well as the yoga. What do you think it was about that that really um, made the difference? Um, I was never present in the gym, you know, it was always just like tune out how you're feeling to kind of hammer your body into the shape that you want it to be. And with that, you're kind of just like blocking out all of like the craziness that my life had been leading up to that point. Um, instead of kind of accepting and breathing in the moment with the yoga and allowing yourself to heal, you're just kind of like, my experience was I was just trying to smash that feeling away instead of like learning to breathe with it. Mm-hmm. So it was more of like an escape versus getting through it by passing truly through it rather than around it or hiding from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, hiding, hiding from, hiding from anything is really not a good way to go about dealing with whatever it is you're trying to deal with in your personal life. You know, like the whole reason, like getting back to the addiction stuff, like, you know, growing up, I always felt not okay. Like I just didn't feel okay. And I felt like something needed to be different. And when I first drank, you know, I was probably like 11 or 12 years old. And, you know, I come from families that, you know, many of them drink and a lot of them are normal. And then a lot of them have like severe problems. Like my, uh, my uncle, he just passed in his 60s, he had, uh, he thankfully died sober, but he drank well into his 60s and, you know, pancreatic cancer, dementia, nursing home, the whole deal. And he made a, he made a recovery and died sober. But like, from the moment I took my first drink, I knew that was me. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh no, I want to feel like this forever. And I'm going to do whatever I can to do that, honestly. And, uh, so as I got older, I got more into like, you know, partying. I had a fake ID pretty early and man, I'm going to be admitting to some crimes on this. I don't know if that's a good idea, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah. So I, it was always about like partying and it was, you know, as long as I got good grades, which, you know, thankfully I did, Uh, A lot of alcoholics are smart, you know. Um, So, I mean, I'm partying through high school, and my friends are like, whoa, Deuce, we've all had, like, two beers, and you've had eight. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but, like, (laughs) whatever, man. Yeah. Do you, I'll do me. Right. And so uh, I get into college. I I go to Berkeley College of Music, which 
I was amazed I had gotten in because that's a pretty prestigious music school, and I was very grateful. And, uh, you know, I had always, I've been playing piano since I was four, and uh, I started playing guitar when I was 11 or 12. And it was something that I was like, I worked my butt off on, and I was good, you know. And I enjoyed being in bands and meeting people and playing music. And I, re- I really embraced that whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And uh, Right, they fed off of each other because it's oh, part of this, like, understood identity. Yeah, yeah. It was like I can be comfortable in this identity and honestly, like, I get to be a musician and party all the time. Like, sign me up, dude. <laughs> so yeah, it's like accepted it's embraced yeah yeah and so then I get into this music school and I'm doing well and the drinking is just like really taking off and one day I just crossed the line man I crossed the line from being functioning to non-functioning and like stopped going to class uh started waking up with delirium tremens and it 19 with delirium tremens i was like i was scared dude because like you're waking up you're shaking you're maybe hearing or seeing things that aren't there and uh it was it was bad news man and furthermore like was that the first time that you recognized that it was like a problem and not something that you wanted to continue doing i would say so like around then when uh you're so physically addicted. See, the thing is with alcohol, when you're physically addicted, it's it can be life-threatening to just stop. Right. And therefore, it renders it impossible. Like, you cross the line, and then when you want to stop, you can't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was also like a blackout drinker often. So I would always, like, wake up in the morning and just have, like, Oh God, what did I do last night? What fires do I need to put out? Who do I need to apologize to? Like the whole, like this ser- this feeling of impending doom just always. And unfortunately, the only way to get it to go away at that time was just to drink again. Mm. And uh, so then I do a medical withdrawal from college uh, for a semester, which was great. I go to rehab And I was, you know, at that point in time, I was so depressed. I'd actually been uh, experimenting with cutting myself and really, like, depressive and scary thoughts. And, uh, you know, if you go to a hospital and tell them that you've been doing that, they don't let you leave. (laughs) Yeah, right. By, By law, you have to stay. So I stayed in a hospital in Boston for a week which was, it was a psych ward. I stayed there and I was with some people like me who just like abused drugs and alcohol. And then I was also there with some like legitimately crazy people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't think I'm really like depressed or suicidal. I think if I can just stop drinking, like I'll be fine. And, uh, so then I go to a 30 day treatment center in Cleveland, Ohio And I go back to Boston and then I proceed to like try and live a sober life. By then it was summer and I wasn't in school. So I had time to just kind of like focus on me and do things that made me feel good. But like the pattern for me was like I'd get a couple months of sobriety and then fuck up. Am I allowed to swear? Can I swear on the show? Yes, you can swear. Yeah. <laughs> you have carte blanche. Oh, good, good. Uh, I'd like get a couple months, drink for a little bit, get a couple months, drink for a little bit. And uh, it was crazy. It, just living in that cycle of like trying to be better and then failing. Like I failed, I failed a lot. And then eventually like, Along the way, I found Oxycontin, and I was like, oh, hello. (laughs) And I thought, well, if I could just, like, balance out my drinking with uh, Oxycontin, then 
neither of them will get out of hand. I won't be physically dependent on one or the other. But of course, what happened was I got physically dependent on both. Yeah, I was going to say that logic is rock solid. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, man, my logic is flawless. Uh, <laughs> so then um, there I was, I was taking and abusing opiates and alcohol and Oxycontin turned into heroin because it's cheaper, so I'll save money. <laughs> and, uh, you know, snorting it turned into uh, intravenous drug use. And uh, that lasted for... See, I moved to Texas in 2012, and I started using opiates in, like, 2010, so I moved down here because like this whole time I'm like still in music school. I'm still making the Dean's list somehow. Mm -hmm. And I managed to like put together a trio. Uh, we were called Deuce Bennett and the revolutionaries at the time. I don't, I don't know what I was necessarily thinking, but, uh, we were, <laughs> we were revolutional, man. Yeah. Uh, and I come down and I play South by Southwest in 2012 and I was like, oh, I could like, I can work here. Every bar is a venue and it seems like there's jobs. I got caught up. I got caught up in that South by hype that so many people yeah. who moved to Austin get caught up in. Well, that was and, a big break, right? I mean, that's a big deal to play South by Southwest. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the time I thought it was like I, I was uh, feeling good about music at the time and um so I, I come down and I play and, of course, like party my, my butt off. And uh, we come back. By we, I mean me and the girl I was seeing at the time. We go back to Boston and we're like, okay, yeah, where are we going to move? She was from San Antonio. So it just like it all kind of made sense, you know, like her family was close by. I wanted to be a musician. So I moved down here and then like shortly after – the girl is gone. I'm trying to get off heroin by taking methadone. And uh, at one point in time, I was just like, screw this opiate stuff. I don't want to be this way anymore. I'll just drink more somehow and just be more of an alcoholic. And then at least I've like lowered my problems from, you know, methadone, heroin and alcohol to just alcohol. And it's so, like choosing the lesser of two evils. Yeah, which, you know, it's kind of funny you say that because alcohol is legal, but I would almost argue it's more dangerous because you will die from alcohol withdrawals, but you won't from heroin. You'll just feel like dying. Interesting. Yeah. But because the way I heard it described is that because, like, you can, like, many people, most people probably. I don't know the specific numbers, uh, but I'm going to assume most people are not alcoholics. <laughs> uh, you can drink a beer or two and not get physically addicted, so that's why it's legal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Whereas everyone will get addicted to opiates if they take them. Uh, it's very, it's very easy to. Mm -hmm. I, I heard that like five days straight is all that it takes to like start to feel withdrawal symptoms from opiates. Mm -hmm. So, um, so not quite as forgiving, not quite as forgiving. Yeah. And so, you know, at this point I'm, I'm like a month off heroin and a couple days off methadone. And I'm like, dude, I was so sick. Like at this point in my life, I was waking up vomiting blood and like drinking right away, throwing up, drinking more, just trying to keep something down, you know, eating once a day, maybe my apartment, God, my apartment was so dirty. Like I was just, I was living in, I was living in squalor at that point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so one morning I woke up and I just like, I hurt, I hurt in a different way I'd never hurt before. And something inside me said, hey, Deuce, wait, this, this stomach pain that you're feeling, that's where I mostly felt it in my, my stomach, my abdomen. 
I was like, this is different. Don't drink today. And like 12 hours later, it was so bad. Like everything I touched just like sent reverberating pain throughout my whole body. And so I, uh, I give up a quick prayer to something, right? Mm-hmm. And because uh, I don't know, I don't. That'll be a further down the line spirituality. But uh, I drive myself to the hospital, ironically, during South by 2013, and they uh, still. I don't want help at this point. Still, like I'm walking around the hospital and I'm like trying to find my own way to the ICU because, damn it, I'm gonna do this. Mm-hmm. Until I just like I can't take it anymore. I walk up to a nurse and I say, hey, I think I'm suffering delirium tremens and I think I have food poisoning. They take my vitals. They will, they wheel me to the ICU. They take my vitals and they wheel me back immediately because like my blood pressure is through the roof and other medical reasons that I don't know. And uh, my abdomen was like swollen completely like very far I don't know I don't know maybe like what's very far for an abdomen to be swollen like six inches maybe Mm. and it was rock hard wow and I'm laying in the ICU and they're trying to get an IV in me but they can't so I'm basically just lying in the ICU dying and there's nothing that they can do for me until they bring in a sonogram and do a pick line, which is they tap into a vein like deep in your arm. And they finally like are able to give me fluids and stuff. And then through, you know, I, I wake up maybe two days later, a day later, I'm not sure how long. And uh, God, my mom was sitting there and it was just like, oh my God, this is not good. This is not a good place for me to be. Turns out I had alcohol-induced pancreatitis, and if I had decided to drink that day that it started, I would have died alone in my apartment. And uh, that began my road to recovery and eventually finding yoga. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm in the hospital for two weeks. I can't eat uh, solid food, really, because it hurts too much. And I go to a 90-day treatment facility, which was honestly like the best thing for me at that time. Uh, I had to get away. And they essentially said, you have a spiritual problem. And you will die if you don't find God. So it's basically like either find some sort of God or spirituality that you believe in or you're going to die, which is not a great place to find yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it's like fear-based motivation in a way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fear keeps a lot of people sober in that position for a while. But the thing is, is that once you start seeking something or anything and you've had some separation for a while – and you do some like really deep work on who you are, how you're showing up, because the life the life of an addict is just basically like a web of lies and deceits and manipulation to cover up these conflicting emotions that basically like I think I'm better than everyone, but I am not good enough at the same time. I am constantly in fear and I act out in these really selfish and dishonest ways that and I don't want to face any of that right I don't want to have to grow or change so I just keep living in those delusional patterns that basically ruin my life and the lives of the people that are closest to me Mm -hmm. um it's it's a very entitled way of living and it's very uh you know it's shame it's very shame filled like there's a lot of 
self-loathing and negative emotions that go into all that type of thinking and behavior. So, uh, I have to find God basically. Right. This, and, this idea of spirituality at this point entering is, is interesting then because if the addiction is a symptom of you know, like self-loathing and, um, and selfishness, then, an answer that gives you a better sense of other people and compassion toward others presumably could be a way out. And you mentioned a minute ago that you said a little prayer when you felt that, that sensation that like this pain is different from another, another day, you know, this is something different and I should act differently. When Mm -hmm. you look, when you look back on that, do you see, do you see that as a form of intuition? Do you feel that that was some sort of spark of, of spiritual knowing or what was that? It was definitely a thought that did not come from within me because if you look at my actions, my entire life leading up to that point, you know, statistically speaking, how could that have come from my mind? But you know, here here's the thing, like going the the insidious part about the disease of addiction is that like you you see it. You see yourself doing all of this stuff and you cannot stop. And there's this person that I always wanted to be. I always wanted to be like a son even, like a brother a friend, like all of these concepts that we all have our own definitions of in our brains. I wanted to be this person. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be a successful musician. I wanted to be fit. I wanted to be, you know, happy, joyous, and free. And I just couldn't, which really, it sucked, you know. But uh, so then you find God and part of this whole process is just like it's so interesting when i say find god because it's really like how do you you have to have hope you know like life just looks so bleak and hopeless all the time and it had for me for years mm. and like i basically have all these people saying like you don't have to understand God. In fact, you probably never will. And how, what you think of spirituality will change over you over your life. But as long as you have hope and you keep seeking something while, you know, while doing the work on trying to be honest and live with integrity and have self-esteem with a little of faith mixed in with that hope, I began to have you know, spiritual experiences. Hmm. And it was really like the relief I felt from that. Like this, this might sound, this might sound silly, but I remember the first, one of the first spiritual experiences I had, I was, uh, I was talking to another person at the rehab. And I mean, like I have nothing in common with this dude. He, he likes to, uh, you know, he, he likes to build bumpers for trucks, uh, big Dodge Ram trucks. And um, I was just sitting there and I was, you know, he was showing me pictures of some of his work and talking. And I was like, yo, this dude loves to build bumpers for trucks. And I love to make music. And he, he this human is capable of having this same concept of love that I am and that enough is beautiful Mm -hmm. and to just like get outside of my own crazy delusional head for long enough to listen to him talk about that at that point in my life was very new for me but also like I don't know it, it just like I was overcome with this sense of warmness and like the nearness of some sort of spirit Mm -hmm. And it didn't start off like that. Like my first concept of a higher power or anything was like, 
all right, dude, they said to pick something. So I picked birds first. And I was like, you like birds? Okay, birds are cool. That's going to be something that's not you that's greater than yourself. And that worked until it didn't. And then it was trees. And then it was, you know, just something. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just, it's like you said, it's not so much about understanding the infinite because we can never do that, right? It's it's mm-hmm. about seeking and continuing to be interested. And I think there are a lot of parallels between that and and the practice of yoga. I mean, honestly, it's the same thing. If you look at the if you look at the sutras, you know, yoga is a path toward the infinite, and it's through practice. It's not about through complete understanding. Absolutely, man. And I think that's what drew me to yoga. You know, apart from like the the oh i feel really good and i want to feel really good forever <laughs> type wow that's a recurring theme in my life uh <laughs> i uh you know i'm able to go into a yoga class i'm able to be present i'm able to just have an experience with my practice and as i continue to have these experiences with my practice go inward and uh kind of seek the infinite within myself because, you know, in, in many of the books that I've read, it's the infinite of the universe is reflected in each and every one of our own beings. And you get into concepts like prana where, you know, you're breathing in the universe and all that. I can't speak very intelligently about, I wish I could honestly, but (laughs) I have something that works for me. Um, But it was this idea of continuing to seek that got me to continue to go to yoga. And the thing is with yoga, I saw results like very quickly. What sort of results? Well, uh, starting with the carpal tunnel thing, man, uh, I had what felt like electric shocks happening in my wrist through just like years of being tense and playing music through that and uh i thought dude how are you gonna be a career musician if you have this like career ending problem and you're only 24 years old man uh and the yoga relieved that now i'm not gonna say that it's perfect all the time like if i go to a gig and i play for four hours in a night like i might be a little tender or like by the last set i might get like a little something but it is so much better than it was hmm. and has really allowed me to continue to express myself in that way through music. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I think that when yoga empowers people to do the thing that they're especially gifted with, then that is not only a gift to the person, to you in this case, but also to everyone who can benefit and be inspired by your music. So that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, as much as yoga has helped me, music has helped me too. I mean, there have been times when I've been on the edge and I listen to the right song and it's able to just like, I'm able to experience gratitude for the song and just live in that moment and it's it it can be really i mean music is powerful stuff man it can really change totally. lives for the better well i you know one of the things that that makes music speak to people is that it's you know it's emotionally um uh fueled and people can relate to music in a way that maybe the spoken word or other forms of expression just don't convey and mm-hmm. m- my question for you is you see there's like a trope in the history of music of you know um just artists who are tormented by grief and their creative expression is driven by pain and that's why you see a lot of artists who have the drug addictions and the alcohol addiction mm-hmm. and other um you know self-harming tendencies when you pulled that away from your life um, and made a, a deliberate conscious effort to do it because it was very challenging and yoga mm-hmm. kind of came in to help you with that process. Was yoga able to fuel your creative, uh, passion and expression 
in a different way. Absolutely, dude. Like, you know, by by the end, like the last few years of the drinking, like it, it wasn't a party for me anymore. Like I wasn't living life. And so I didn't really have any experiences that I necessarily wanted to write about, you know, and I wasn't practicing. I wasn't practicing my craft. Hmm. And uh, the yoga, which was so integral to like empowering my life and allowing me to live the life I lived gave me the confidence to believe that I'm worthy enough to practice my craft and do it. Nice. Yeah. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything, honestly. Like I always, I like when I first really was like, I'm still gung ho yoga, but I used to really tell people that, Hey, they should try yoga to solve their problems. And I'm just amazed how I'm amazed by the responses I get, honestly, by a lot of people <laughs> because they're like, Oh, I don't want to do that or all that's like, that's like hippie new wave or whatever. And I just wish that they could have an experience with it and just see for themselves like, dude, just go do 30 Bikram classes in 30 days and tell me how you feel after. I wish that you could do that and experience this or, you know, whatever type of practice that you choose. For me, Bikram was the one that really shot me into, like, the fourth dimension, the next level of really wanting to <laughs> pursue it. Yeah, and I think that's a really common story, actually. Like, mm -hmm. Bikram can really take people deeper in a short amount of time. It's a very yeah. therapeutic practice. It is. It's like, uh, and it's, it's hard. And I think that's what, what pushes people away. And, you know, it's like impossible to breathe in the heat in the beginning. And dude, I have thought some like crazy things in a Bikram class before. And it, you know, now I know that it's just like me working through whatever it is I need to work through and just like learning how to breathe in extreme situations of duress that was like the first posture. Yeah. Well, that's that's the first and forever posture. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the alpha and the omega. Yeah, right. Um so Deuce, let's um tell me about something that you that you're excited about now because we spent a lot of time talking about your past and I really appreciate um, hearing you open up about that. You know, we've known each other for a while and I haven't heard all of those stories. So that was um, very generous of you to share. But tell me about what's happening now. You know, is there something coming up that you're excited about or anything like that? Yeah. Um, my original band, you know, I write half the songs with my, my other co-writer and then the other dudes in the band. We all write the music. We're playing at an American Heart Association Heart Walk in Kyle, Texas on April 12th. And, uh, I'm always working with new artists and networking, which is something I love about my job. Uh, so I post that work on my SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash Deuce Bennett, D-E-U-C-E-B-E-N-N-E-T-T. And, uh, some of the rappers that I, I mix and engineer with are doing some pretty cool stuff. So I kind of get to like hang out on the sidelines and like see, like help them be their greater selves. You know, I'm, I just, I just want to lift the people up around me in any way I can. And so some of those guys are doing some cool things. Um, and then of course we have the rocket training at Bikram Yoga East Austin coming up, which I'm very excited for. Um, that's with David Kyle and Hill Perez. And this is their second time coming to our studio. Uh, I did their first one that they did last February, and it was like five days of like, you know, two rocket classes a day and drills for like crazy arm balance things and some... Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't think theory is the right word, but like we talked about some sutras and we did a pranayama class every morning and mm -hmm. 
I'm super pumped up about that. That's not necessarily something that I I I'm endorsing it, but I'm I'm not like you know I'm not teaching there or anything. I'm just but, excited about it. But you're coming back for round two, and you're contributing your energy. Oh yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, apart from sharing your message today, what are you doing at this at this juncture today to live your dharma? Uh, okay. So my, I practice, I practice a lot of yoga, you know, I do it just about every day. Um, which, you know, doing, being in the community of Bikram Yoga East Austin has been really, uh, instrumental in kind of doing that. But then when I did Jared McCann's 200 hour teacher training, and I really saw the benefits of like a daily vinyasa practice too, uh, that was great. So I pretty much do a, uh, some sort of vinyasa rocket inspired type thing. And I do pranayama breathing exercises every day. And I say the Gayatri every day. And I do all this stuff so that I can be my best and present so that when I go in to teach for my students. I can be there and help lift them up. If I can just lift up the people around me, then uh, I think that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, man. I see a lot of cross-pollination and integration between all the things that you're doing, between being a musician yourself, sharing your message with with listeners, between being um, an engineer, helping other artists share their message, and doing your yoga practice and sharing yoga as a teacher, all of that makes perfect sense. And I think you are steadfast on your path. So it's awesome. And I think now <laughs> is the perfect time to move into the final section of our interview, the prana round, which you alluded right. to. You alluded to the prana. Yeah. So we're breathing right. in the universe here. I'm going to ask it. you six rapid fire questions and ask you to answer minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay. Okay. All right. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Uh, healing. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? Uh, <clears throat> locust pose from the 26 and two series. Um, when I first started doing that, you know, it's when you lay on your forearms, palms down, lift one leg, lift the other, and then you lift both. Uh, that was the pose that I experienced the most healing in right away. Yeah. Cause that's that carpal tunnel right there. That, that's it. That's it. Nice. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from a teacher? And I'll accept yoga teacher or music teacher here. Oh, man. Uh, Just to make the question even harder. <laughs> Think. And so that kind of is a crossover between the two. Uh, and so when I, I had a guitar teacher in uh, college who you know he he was tough he was like a like an old school jazz cat and we were doing all of these like john coltrane inspired bebop lines up and down the fretboard of the guitar and it would he would just say think like think about what you're doing just think about being here now think and that really helped me stay present in those really challenging exercises. And so then it crosses over to my yoga practice. Think, be here now. What muscles are you contracting? Yeah. Stomach in, breathing. That's yeah. just think. The power of focus, yeah, definitely comes out in, in a yoga practice and an asana practice especially. Yeah. All right, recommend one book, either modern or ancient for our audience. Hmm. I recently, this was for the rocket training that we did. I read Lectures on Raja Yoga by Swami Vivekananda. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah. And 
it was it was a book it's you know written i think 1896 and it just had like a lot of a lot of great quotes and you know part of it were just like his lectures on like what prana is and he does a good job of like blending the east and the west and then he goes on to like write about some of the patanjali sutras and as i read it uh i highlighted stuff because i was reading on my phone i'm actually going to read one here that i really liked please it, it says uh never say any man is hopeless because he only represents a character a bundle of habits and these can be checked by new and better ones Character is repeated habits, and repeated habits alone can reform character. Mm. We can break through our samskaras. Yes, we can. Okay, is yoga for everyone? Totally. Last question. How can our audience get in touch with you, and how can we support you in your dharma? Uh, Instagram is great. Uh, I'm at Deuce Bennett. D-E-U-C-E-B-E-N-N-E-T-T. And an and email's good too. It's uh the same deuce bennett at gmail.com. And then the same for my SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash deuce bennett. Nice. Alright. Well, Deuce, it was a pleasure talking to you today, and I'm really looking forward to catching up in person, uh doing the rocket with you very soon. So until then, thank you so much. Thank you, Henry. I hope you have a good day, dude. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Keep living your dharma.